You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. Welcome back to the conservative conscience. Indeed, a lot of hot air and tangled mess to untangle and make clear as we do every week here at the conservative conscience. It's actually late Tuesday, September 19th. Usually we wait till the end of the week, but I will be off Thursday and Friday. Wanted to make sure we got in another episode. It's episode 150. Big milestone here. Thank you very much for growing our audience. Um, so anyway, yeah, I will be out the end of the week. This is the Jewish New Year. Obviously a time to stand before judgment of the real God, not a political God, the true God of the universe who actually controls everything. And ultimately, when everything is decided. And speaking of kings, <laughs> the king spoke today at the UN. And it's funny watching everyone. Oh my gosh, this was the greatest speech you know Trump ever gave. Look, I couldn't have given a better speech myself. But it's kind of like what I wrote after his immigration speech in Phoenix during the campaign when I said his speech was as good as, as apple pie. It was as American as apple pie. I think that was the title of my article at the time. But I noted in the preface, look, I'm just commenting on his speech, not what he'll actually do. And I you know, turned out to be right. I'm just warning you guys. Everything we've been talking about the last few weeks, we've been writing about every sphere of his foreign policy carried out by Mattis, McMaster, and Tillerson has voided out every clause of that speech. So, you know, until I see a change in policy direction, which there's no reason things are going to change, there's nothing about that speech that indicates he's going to change directions. He just had to give the speech because it's that time of year. It's the UN General Assembly. Um, but I must say, you know, it's it's a shame because it was really a good speech. Stephen Miller really has a good vision on on sovereignty, as you know, sovereignty is near and dear to my heart. It's the title of my book. He mentioned it 22 times in his speech. So, so definitely good stuff. Um, but sadly, like I said before, I am done commenting on speeches. This is not a campaign. This is eight months into the presidency, almost a year after the campaign. We're going to comment on policy outcomes, not on speeches. And you know, before I get to healthcare, by the way, which is really what I wanted to get to, a lot of you have been asking me about Graham Cassidy, this final ditch effort from Republicans to so-called repeal Obamacare, what I think about it. But before we get there, I just want to give you one update. I think that's very important. Axios is reporting, and I've seen many other articles cooperating this, but Axios is excellent sources. And I'm going to continue to take the reporting serious until I see things wrong. Um, they called it the Kelly effect. This is Chief of Staff John Ke Kelly, former general commander of Northern Command. Um, the Kelly effect, who, who is around President Trump matters much more than with most presidents because of his impulsiveness, lack of ideology, and willingness to make snap decisions. So if you wonder why President Trump has been willing to seriously entertain 
and in one case so far execute policies that would have been an anathema to campaign Trump. It's partly because of the feedback loop built by Chief of Staff John Kelly. And he goes on to say that basically Kelly and the staff secretary there, Rob Porter, uh, pick and choose what information gets out to this man. And they have made it very clear that conservatives are not allowed. John Bolton is not allowed. So it's basically Kelly, Porter, and Kushner that control the administration. Who's allowed? Mattis and McMaster. So it's a complete joke. You know, let's not, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. Now, obviously, he's a big boy. It's not like John Kelly could tie him up and beat him up or something. I mean, Trump is the president, so he he wants to do this. A lot of people thought Kelly would bring order. Um, he is bringing order more than Reince Priebus did, except it's complete order for the liberal agenda. Um, so this is this is basically what we're seeing here, and it's not really going to change for the f- foreseeable future. The way they write it here is that Kelly has made sure to basically block out what they call any populist nationalist sentiment. Now, obviously, we're conservatives here, but when they say populist nationalist on many issues, they really mean, you know, our agenda. They mean Trump's own UN speech is blocked out from policy outcomes. So done with that. Just wanted to get that off my chest because I know I'm not going to be back until next week. Okay, healthcare. So this took a lot of people by surprise took me by surprise because I've been bogged down on so many other issues, had to quickly rush back into healthcare. Graham Cassidy piece of legislation. Everyone wants to know, what is this? Is this worthwhile? Is it a half a loaf? Is it the last ditch effort that's better than nothing? I'm going to try to give you a unique perspective based on our unique focus, not on medical insurance, which is actually the problem, not the solution, but on healthcare on the supply side and demonstrate why, with a couple of caveats, I actually think I'm okay with passing Graham Cassidy, but for very different reasons, the exact opposite reasons of its drafters, of those that that crafted the bill and and, and its supporters. I am not, well, again, I'm not supporting the bill yet because there's a couple of things I want to get to, but let's just say real briefly, this is not repeal. This is this is garbage. It's the same garbage they've been throwing around until now. It doesn't repeal Obamacare, but just the opposite. What it does do is let out enough air from the cartel that I think will actually burn down the system. And that's a good thing. That will give us our last best opportunity to actually force free markets. Not that Congress is going to pass free market legislation, but I think the market on its own will actually somewhat resolve this, and this will allow us that one piece of leverage by getting rid of the mandates. So let's unpack this here. The Graham-Cassidy bill keeps all of the Obamacare regulations at a federal level, um, much like all the other pieces of legislation. And this one, even more than the other ones, it keeps almost all of the taxes, which, you know, is neither here nor there. You know my opinion on that. I hate taxes, but it doesn't really affect healthcare that much. much. It's not the most important part of Obamacare. It's not really responsible for hurting healthcare. It's just the revenue raiser to fund the stupid entitlement. 
what what the the difference between this and the other iterations of half baked repeal is that it basically kit punts it to the states and says, "Here, states, we're going to give you block grants for the Medicaid expansion and the so called private insurance subsidies, and you go have it. Here it is. You're responsible for it. Um, do what you want." Now, it's not exactly like that because, again, it's do what you want, meaning it's pumping more money into the system. Now, you might say, well, we're already doing it, so it's not any worse. You're doing it at a state level. Maybe you could innovate a little bit. Um, But the waivers they're going to get on some of the regulations, they're very minor. They're very notional. All the reasons we said in the past that it's not going to fundamentally change the name of the game. It's not going to put the consumer in charge rather than the cartel and the government. It's it's all government run. Um, it's not going to release the guaranteed issue and community rating regulation by keeping the chronically ill in the same pool as everyone else, which is the direct problem that has skyrocketed premiums. It's not going to reduce premiums. And certainly, certainly, it's not going to do what we ultimately need is to bring competition in the insurance market. Now, again, what we ultimately, ultimately need is to bring competition in health care. Forget about medical insurance. But right now we're talking about medical insurance. If your goal is to save medical insurance as we know it, as it is conceived in the current crony cartel propped up by government mixed in with Medicare and Medicaid system, it's not going to help. It's all going to go up and up and up. The question is how much it's going to increase from the record high baseline. We're not going back to pre-Obamacare prices under a system like this. That is very clear. Um, So this is garbage. It fails on on the face of it. Obviously, this is going to take place in 2020. You know, you have a couple years transition. So who knows, by then it might not even happen. And then by 2027, supposedly, is when the federal funding stops. So in other words, for the 10 years, it just says, okay, here states, you go structure the exchanges and the subsidies the way you want, but again, within the coverage mandates. Um, and, and just to go back, it, the, the thing with the regulations are this. On the one hand, they are enjoyed. Well, on the, on the, on the one hand, they hurt insurers because, well, now it's, it's, it's actuarially insolvent. But on the other hand, they like them because there's only a handful of them left and you're the only show in town. And certainly a startup cannot deal with those regulations. They don't have the massive Medicare, Medicaid contracts and employer based, um, which is propped up by government in the tax code. They're, they're uh, contracts, so they're not going to be able to compete with guaranteed issue community rating. So they like them. And then because you have endless government subsidies to sugarcoat it for certain people, so they're in business. So the point is, the regs and the subsidies are going to continue. And when I say the regs and the subsidies, I mean over and beyond Obamacare. Um, Medicaid, the only difference is this kind of flattens out the system. Right now, you have states that expanded Medicaid, states that didn't. So what this does is just flatten it out. It just equalizes it between the states per capita, you know, based on their the amount of people. So, you know, the states that really hoarded it, like California, Arizona, um, even though they had a Republican governor, several others, they'll get a little less. Some are, you know, now the conservative states will wind up getting more. So that's a pretty tough talking point there. 
Um, it's just going to pump more money into the so-called conservative states, which, as you know, don't really have conservative governments. And they're not going to use it for a free market. And again, it's kind of complicated. I don't know all the details yet, but statutorily, you're not going to be able to. So this is not saving the system. But here's the one thing about it. It categorically gets rid of the individual and employer mandate. And that's how you let the air out of the balloon. Now, you might be surprised, those of you who are avid listeners throughout the spring and summer debate on health care, I kept saying the worst thing you can do is not repeal the regs and subsidies, so you keep inflating the costs. But then, you know, you tell people you don't have to buy it and employers you don't have to provide it. So they'll, they'll drop it like a hot potato. You'll have adverse selection because all the healthy people will get out and prices will go up even more and we'll get blamed for it. I'm not changing from that thesis, except that was built upon the original dynamic when we we're trying to repeal Obamacare. You're trying to lower premiums. You're trying to fix the insurance market. This certainly will not do that. And, you know, in, in fact, will make it worse. But that's my point. If we're not going to do it, then burn it down. Let it burn. That will be the title of this podcast. Let it burn. The problem in toll now is that we couldn't let it burn because it's burning with us inside of it. We were trapped in. They had us around the neck. Endless subsidies, endless market distortions, endless regulations, endless competition, you know, boxing out of competition. So we're stuck with the government-created cartel monopoly going up and up and up, and there's nothing we can do about it. We, we don't have a choice because you have the individual mandate. You get fined, or if you're an employer, you get fined for not offering it. So you're stuck. And this is how they had us around the neck because there's no, there's no check on their power. They could just charge whatever they want. Here's the thing. Once you, I, at this point, I believe it's worth it just to repeal the mandates, if nothing else. This is not federalism. This is not going to open up flexibility and innovation. No, this is garbage. I'm, I'm not subscribing to what some others are saying. I'm coming from a totally, this is reverse psychology, what I'm using here. What I'm saying is prices are going to continue going up, and that is the point. Let them go up, except now we could evacuate from the fire. We are, we are already on the cusp of a free market revolution, ironically because of Obamacare. I've said this before. Obamacare, in many respects, is a cancer on the cancer. The insurance system that was propped up by government beforehand is what has distorted the healthcare market, why you have no price transparency, you have no consumer-oriented market. The government and the cartel hold all the money. They, hold, they are the consumer. They price fix. We're cut out. The delivery is terrible. 30% of healthcare is administrative costs. The delivery is horrendous because doctors are looking at their iPads all day, even while, while they're meeting with you. Um, the staff is horrendous because they have to sit and focus with insurance and Medicare and Medicaid all day, and the two tie together. So it, it was bad beforehand. But what, what this is doing is it's destroying insurance. So therefore, People are just going to evacuate, and the market is going to force a solution. We've talked about what that solution is. You have an oasis of it. You have a budding example of what that would look like, an alternative to insurance, health-sharing associations, 
you don't need insurance the way we view it. What you need is what, what ideally should happen. Everyone should pay like any other product. And the prices would therefore reflect that because the consumer demand would be what consumers are willing to pay. Right now, they can charge whatever they want because there's endless money. The government throws endless money at the cartel through the $270 billion employer tax code, through Medicare, through Medicaid, through S-CHIP, all these other programs. There's even more I haven't heard of. The community centers now they're talking about. I don't even know they exist at federal level, state level. We have all these programs, endless programs. And when we created Obamacare, we didn't get rid of them. It's funny. Now they're they're saying it's an emergency to restore S-CHIP and community health centers. Well, I thought we got everyone covered through Medicaid expansion and the subsidies to everyone earning up to 400% of the poverty line. And, you know, you, you say you have to cover pre-existing conditions. So what's, what's the issue now? We destroyed health care because of guaranteed issue community rating. Why do we need these programs? But anyway, I digress. These programs are the cancer. They are the problem. The problem is, until now, people have been fat and happy with their employer-based insurance. And, and meanwhile, health care, the pricing goes up and up and up out of control. As a nation, we spent $3.2 trillion, and the quality is going down and down. And yet, there's no end in sight. But now that insurance is such a dumpster fire, let, let employers drop it. Let people drop it. Now you have the freedom to associate like the health sharing ministries do, except they don't have enough people to really make it. You know, it's only if you're very healthy, if you're kind of even a little bit sick, most of them don't really cover you. Um, it's tough. But here, um, it works in tandem with direct primary care, DPC, where you're just going to go directly to a doctor. And the more people who do that, the more that you'll have a market for it. And then what about for really expensive stuff? If you, someone gets chronically ill, you bind together in associations and you have health sharing. It's the beauty of that is it's the Wild West. It's not governed by not just Obamacare, federal regulations, but even state regulations. And by definition, it's across state lines because it's not regulated like insurance. So that solves the whole you know, cross state lines issue. And you could have portability with you for the rest of your life. You keep it with you. It, it's on the cost. The problem is until now, people can't do it because if you ev- you have to get you have to purchase insurance, which is five companies basically. You have to purchase their their criteria. So you know, I used to oppose just going after the individual, individual mandate because I was saying that's not the main point. I want insurance. I just want options and be able to have what I had before. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because yes, you want insurance, but part of why it's a dumpster fire is because they force you into their system and then in tandem with the regs and subsidies, guess what? We're we're done. They have us around the neck. They lock us in. They could charge more and more, but you know, we have to pay the individual mandate if we want to evacuate. And because of it, so the thing is, even if it's worth it to get rid of the individual mandate, well, what are you going to get? Because there aren't enough people willing to evacuate, there's not enough of a market to pick up the slack. You get rid of that. Overnight, people will be willing to start um, new associations. And not just for Christians, not just for um, you know, you know, these ministry plans, it's just anything. And any sort of neighbor, it could be a neighborhood association, it could be a profession-based. 
It could be a group of artists and musicians and green energy people, whatever. You want to pull your resources together. Really like it was back in the days before Blue Cross and Blue Shield got taken over by you know the, the cronyist cartel. That's how it was. You always need to you need to hedge against some sort of risk. But the rest you pay out of pocket. And watch the dominoes fall. Watch them fall one after another in a beautiful chain reaction. That's why. So in some respects, the regulations actually help us. Hey, go keep it, guys. People will evacuate. You'll have to cover them if they want to reenter the market. Let the prices go up. And the more prices go up, the more people get chased out of this third party, fourth party government cartel system. And they actually pursue true free markets and, and healthcare functions like a true single payer. I say that tongue in cheek, single payer from the patient to the provider. That's how it needs to work. You see, when it comes to healthcare, we have to understand the beginnings. We have to understand how we got here, why healthcare has been such a mess long before Obamacare. It was definitely exacerbated by Obamacare. But we are now at the point where we are in such a pit of hell when it comes to healthcare that I actually think it's easier and shorter to just dig out the other end of the hole uh, rather than trying to retrace our steps and rectify the immediate causes of the current collapse because we're just too far down that hole. You know, there's one thing if we cleanly repealed Obamacare, just you know, lock, stock, and barrel, repealed all the regs, anyone could offer any insurance plan they want. All right, so then yeah, at least you could have some market competition in insurance. Uh, it certainly doesn't solve the healthcare problem. In fact, long term, it continues to inflate the cost of healthcare. But all right, it's worth it, and then maybe we can come back another day and address the supply side of healthcare issues, the 20, 30 other things we want to do. But they're not doing it. It's very clear it will not happen. It's never going to happen. Um, I, I, I also want to say, just before we go through some of the history, um, some of the things I think that need to be added to the Graham-Cassidy bill in order to precipitate the outcome we want, and then what needs to be eliminated, what I want to see eliminated, but unfortunately I doubt if this gains legs and they want to pass again, I doubt they'll do it. Um, and that is, I was concerned originally about a phony repeal, that basically if you keep the regs, you but you get rid of the mandates, it gets even worse. We get blamed, not just we get blamed, but it gets blamed on free market healthcare, and then we get single payer. I'm no longer concerned as much about that because I think at this point, everyone realizes they're not really repealing Obamacare. Unlike the other half-baked structures where it looked like this was what we believed in. Oh, we're repealing it, but we're replacing it with another federal system. That's really just Obamacare. But that's viewed as our system. Here, everyone realizes we're just kicking much of Obamacare to the states. Um, now, so, so I'm, not, I'm not worried about it being blamed as much on the free market in this late hour. Let's just take that out we could have on the individual mandate. Now, some of my colleagues are concerned, and Ovik Roy, who's usually on the other side on this issue, has the same concern, that this will actually precipitate single-payer. 
because basically you're now giving the states keys to so much money to just open up a single payer system. Right now they can't do that. It's precluded in statute. And here they could do that. And, and, and that's part of why this is such bull because the Graham Cassidy thing, it, it's not like it gives, you know, everyone's like, this is beautiful federalism, Daniel. Uh, no, federalism is when you start from scratch. Here, you're taking a garbage program, keeping the regs, and telling states, all right, here's some socialist money. Here's what you can do with it. Oh, but by the way, the coverage regs are still going to be there. Oh, but you could work with your bureaucrats and HHS bureaucrats and cartel lobbyists to tailor-make the regulatory code um, to their liking to box out competition. That's not federalism. But on the other hand, on the bottom end, on the liberal state end, and there really aren't too many conservative states that are going to do good things with it. But you'll say states like California, they're going to have single payer. The more I study this issue, the more I'm convinced we're never going to have single payer. I'm not worried about single payer. I'm worried about the current system, which is in many respects just as bad as single payer. We already have single payer from the government. It's just funneled through a private cronious cartel. That's the difference. The, the cartel is so powerful, they're more powerful than the government. I'm not worried about ever having a UK system. I'm just worried about taking the current system and just getting worse and worse. Even Bernie Sanders, it, it, it's such a joke. Oh, the millionaires and billionaires, let's do for the people. Here's the joke about that. What he is ultimately proposing, Medicare for all, that's not pub. There's this myth that we have a public sector and a private sector in healthcare. The public sector is not purely public, and the private sector is not purely private, and therein lies the problem. Because the private sector is propped up by the government, it's subsidized, it's regulated, and it's basically created by the employer tax exclusion. But the government part is not straight up like you know food stamps where. I know you have a little bit of private contracting there with the cards, the EBT cards, but but the program basically just gives people the money straight up and go out and purchase your food. That would actually be better. I, I've said this all along. We need the government out of the price fixing, out of controlling the actual pricing of health care. Just give people the money, but instead they funnel it through the managed care cartel and they price fix together with the government. So we're just going to have more of that, which is really what we have so far. You're just going to have, you know, instead of for 55% of the population, you'll have for 75% and then 85% until we have 100% of the population. But it's never going to be single pay. So I think to me, single payer is kind of a straw man because it's both worse than what people think and better than what people think. It's a little bit better because I don't think we're going to get to that point. Precisely because we already have it. Because of the cartel. In Europe, they have pure socialism. In America, we have venture socialism. Some respects, it's even worse. Some respects, it's a little better. But it's horrible either way. And it's got to change. And I think this is the way to change it. So if you go back to the history, like everything, healthcare was destroyed. The, the seeds were sowed in the 1930s, and the gas pedal was just accelerated in the 1960s. <laughs> you know, that, that's when everything went to hell in a handbasket in public policy, 30s and 60s. So it started when you know, insurance started taking off in the 30s, 
um, and Blue Cross started to be, you know, become part of the cartel rather than just being a association for risk pooling. So everyone could just pay directly. Most, almost all dollars were paid directly to the physician. But in the 60s, what happened was really, I mean, really the 50s and 60s, it's the employer tax exemption, Medicare and Medicaid, and the HMO Act of 1973. Those four things put together destroyed healthcare in America. Because what they did was, by, by giving almost $300 billion annual tax exclusion for employers to go and purchase health insurance, that made, that did two things. First of all, it tethered insurance to employment. So it put the individual at a disadvantage. So now there's, you know, the individual market was, was t- tiny. Then it made insurance the predominant thing in America. That's what made insurance a prepayment plan instead of a hedge against risk, like any other insurance. Because it became so ubiquitous. It, everyone, you know, it was just $300 billion worth poured into it. Then you had Medicare and Medicaid. And then in 1973, with the HMO Act, they gave it over to managed care. And then part of the HMO Act and then subsequent acts, it's a chain reaction now. Now the consumer is no longer the consumer because it's the employer prompted by by government to go and hire out insurance. The government, Medicare, Medicaid, and then working together, it all mixes together. The money is not with the people. You go on Amazon, you go to Uber, you go to Apple. It's a consumer-driven market because the money is there, so you have to satisfy the customer. You need pricing. Pricing is the glue of any market. Here, the consumer is cut out because the consumer is the government insurance cartel now. They hold the money. So here's the kicker. It's not just the fact that they pay for everything and that they have an unlimited supply of money from the government, both through the tax code and through all the endless subsidies and programs. It's that now they have the ability to price fix. They own the actual pricing. This is a big point that people are missing. A lot of people understand the screwed up nature of health insurance, the fact that it's different from homeowners and car insurance in the respect that it, you know, it doesn't just cover catastrophic, but just kind of gets involved in everything. But there's a second more important component to that in that it gets involved in the actual delivery and pricing of the care. Whereas with car and homeowners, it's not just, oh, it doesn't kick in until a substantial sum. It doesn't cover oil changes and, you know, changing your light bulbs at home or a minor, you know, home repair, uh, replacing your front door. It's that even when they come in, they don't control a roof or your basement's flooded. They don't control the market pricing, at least not directly. The car insurance doesn't, Geico doesn't control the pricing of car doors smashed in and, and, you know, bumpers, engine replacement. That, that's set by a market. Here, they are the market. They set the actual pricing. That's the problem with the system. And until we break that, the price of health care will never come down. 
That's what, until you have pricing, where, the, where we know pricing, where you could shop around. And nowadays with the internet, you could do to healthcare what Amazon has done to so many other things. And ironically, Amazon wants to get into prescription drugs. And get, guess what? The cartel's blocking them out because they are using the boot of government. So here's my plan. I think, again, I think on its own, people are going to have to evacuate, and now they will be able to evacuate without the individual mandate and force this system. But I think there's things we can do to equal, to, to level the playing field. So let's go through them one by one. So there is a provision in this bill governing HSAs. One of the things we have to do, you know, they, they expand HSAs. You can now, uh, I believe now it's something like 6,700 per family you could put in. Now it's going to be double that, 13,300 or something. Um, double for the individual as well. What needs to happen is tax equity. Obviously, the best thing would be to get rid of the individual, the employment, the employment-based tax exemption and remit that back in the form of a $270 billion across-the-board business tax cut. But that's certainly not happening at this point. I do want to push for that later as part of the whole tax reform business. But for now, what I would say is equalized tax treatment. Here's how you push health-sharing associations. Why should employers, why should we socially engineer the cartel? Offer an equal tax exclusion for the employer and for HSAs, all three. Self-employed, employer, and personal for HSAs that you could have the same tax-exempt status that you get for premiums. Although you don't really get with premiums with the HSAs, but we should make it um, for health sharing. Any health sharing. So that will seamlessly flow with DPC because now, oh, I could go to DPC practices, pay out of pocket with price transparency, well, what, what if something happens beyond the scope of the, the DPC practice? You know, cancer or something like that, God forbid, uh, that, that you, know, you need a specialist, you get a good hospitalization. That's when health sharing kicks in. That, and and that's, that's what, what needs to happen. So I think equity of tax treatment. We need to negotiate for that. We'll go along with Graham Cassidy. But what you give to the insurance cartel, you have to give to alternatives as, as well. Another thing, demand price transparency. The way you do that is to nullify, to prohibit any contracts that are, um, they're basically called, what do you call it? Uh, I'm, I'm losing it here. I'm embarrassed here. I'm forgetting the name of the contract clause that prevents providers from offering self-pay discounts. It's, it's unbelievable. Again, and this is not free market. They only have that bargaining power because of the government, because of Medicare and Medicaid, and they use that to box out private alternatives, direct payments. So doctors can't even offer pricing because, so A, all the money is with the cartel. Now you could say, all right, Daniel, now that insurance is burning to the ground, there's an emerging market, people are gonna start to pay out of pocket, so maybe the price transparency will flow. To a certain extent, yes, but a lot of it is actually prohibited. That needs to be fixed. Medicare, Medicaid, any Medicare, Medicaid provider or contractor, managed care, cannot use that to um, bind providers into contracts that preclude uh, preclude anything, any, any, con any clause saying that they cannot offer self-pay 
some sort of discount. That will really spawn a revolution in price transparency immediately. Because together with this emerging market because of Obamacare, and because it will continue even under this legislation, don't kid yourself, I'm not defending it, it's garbage legislation, but now that you're untethered to the system because the individual employer mandates are gone, now we could go and equal the level of the playing field with non-cartel entities. This is really, really important. Really important. Oh, by the way, it's hold harmless clauses. Uh, and, and, and a big part of that, it's not just the pricing. They control the, the procedures. So, you know, what's happened, and, and this is a easy-to-message issue for any conservative politician if they want to message their constituents. We have death panels in this country. It's sponsored by the government, but it's done by these managed care associations, uh, organizations, where basically, let, let's say there's been cases where someone had, needs a life-saving procedure, and for whatever reason, they say, we're not going to cover it. The guy's like, all right, I'll pay for it myself. I'll raise the money. I'll collect the money. I'll pay for it myself. The provider, whether it's a doctor, hospital, they cannot offer that outside of the parameters of the cartel. It's in their contract. Now, even if this would be pure market-based, that they got their revenue not from the government, purely from their beautiful ingenuity and great service, this would violate what we subject every other industry to with antitrust laws. I mean, we were the House Ways and Means Committee recently had a hearing on expanding mandates of price transparency on restaurants, which get no money from the federal government, which are totally market-based, the government shouldn't be involved, and yet we mandate you got to show your prices. Yet now, somehow, we enable, through Medicare, Medicaid, and the whole employment-based cartel, to prohibit price transparency. So that's got to end. That's got to end, end, end now. That, that's another provision we could stick in there. Also, we got to level the playing field between private practices that provide direct primary care and opt out of the entire government insurance model. So right now, the problem is Medicare and Medicaid put them all at a disadvantage. Because that's where all the money is, you can't operate without it, except for a couple of very brave practices. So one of the things we need to do is, is um, you know, I, I always believe that programs designed to help the elderly and the poor should not be used as a tool to socially engineer the healthcare market. Give people the money if they need it, and then go out like anyone else and pay your doctor. Cut out the middleman. What they're doing now is, so two things need to happen. Doctors ha- need to be given the opportunity to opt out of government programs on a case-by-case basis. Right now, it's all or nothing. So you have to go it alone. And look, I mean, until we fix the system, it's very hard to operate if you're not taking Medicare and Medicaid. Certainly both of them together. You know, and private insurance for that matter. But if you allow it on a case by case basis, that will, um, you know, that will that will open up more of a more of a DPC market, at least you know individually. And then also, we need to bar federal programs from reimbursing hospitals more than they, re- they reimburse private practices. This is a whole other thing. I know we spoke about this a little bit with um, Dr. Smith from the Oklahoma Surgery Center, but what they're doing is socially. Part of what people don't realize Medicaid does 
is it socially engineers our entire healthcare system. I'm sure you all see the cranes, all the construction with the big health administrative conglomerates controlling healthcare now, buying up all the practices. Everything's under the auspices of hospitals. Private practices are going to become extinct. Is that because, you know, similar to ATMs making bank tellers extinct because of ingenuity, innovation, better delivery, market efficiencies? No, it's, it's worse than ever. It's because of the government. It's because Medicaid reimburses doctors associated with hospitals who perform the same service that a private practitioner would. That's disgusting. That is the ultimate venture socialism, tipping the scales, picking winners and losers. And that's what we need to stop, picking winners and losers. Now, this bill, Graham-Cassie, continues the winners and losers, but you know what? It opened because it's self-immolating. That's the thing. It's like, dude, burn yourself down. Just let me evacuate from the system. Now, it will take a little bit of time, you know, until some of this crops up. Right now, you have health sharing associations. I have Liberty Health Share. But I think more of this will, will, will come to fruition. I have many other ideas. I'm going to have this all in an article. But, you know, I just felt like I wanted to give over more. There's one pitfall. The one problem I wanted to go over here, and I know we're running out of time, is, and this is why I'm kind of torn and tossed, just sharing my thoughts out loud, speaking out loud with you kind of randomly. There's one thing if the bill would just be half glass full. So it only has good provisions, meaning it's only repeal and sufficient repeal, but partial repeal nonetheless, but doesn't repeal everything. The problem is it adds bailout funds, endless state reinsurance funds, state stabilization funds, and then the cost-sharing subsidies for insurers. So it's not just that it, you know, because you could say, all right, Daniel, we're doing the subsidies anyway. It just devolves it to the states. So it's, you know, no runs, no hits, no errors, kind of the same thing. Even if you don't think states will do anything good with it, might do bad stuff, but it's the same money distorting the market that was before. But it's not true. The worst thing you could do now is prop up the cartel. Either we fix the system by repealing the regulations on insurers and allowing them to provide anything, or we evacuate from the system, burn it down, and go to DPC, go to a real market. Direct primary care, the way it used to be, get the middlemen out, and um, actually solve health care, which is the real problem, not medical insurance. The worst is the middle ground, where you continue obfuscating the pain for enough people by sugarcoating it with endless subsidies, allowing the states and the insurers to continue with the venture socialism, continue sucking us in, continue using the, the funding to tilt the playing field towards themselves, to distort the market of delivery, to destroy healthcare in America. And then there's just not enough people that aren't getting from employment-based but not from, you know, but, but uh, on the other hand that there, because keep in mind, there aren't too many people. I know we actually have a lot in our audience that, you know, you're above 400% of the poverty level, but you're not getting employment base. Most people above that are getting something from their, from their work. I, I never did in any of my jobs. I know many of you haven't, a lot of you are self-employed. Um, that is a big issue, about nine to 11 million people. But it's, it's just that. Everyone else is kind of, oh, well, you either get subsidized or, you know, you get it from work. And what I'm scared about is that these the so-called stabilization will shield some of the inflation on the employer-based plans, too. Because 
if you don't have any bailout money and you just kind of do the rest of the Graham Cassie shtick, you get rid of the employer and an individual mandates, it's going to blow up. They'll drop it like a rock. And that's a good thing. It will end the entire system and everyone will be in, in their own market. You'll have innovators come along. Maybe, maybe they can't offer insurance, but you could offer health sharing. It's going to have to be non for, not for profit until we get rid of the regulations. But that's the only way to leverage getting rid of the regulations and getting the insurance companies on board to compete. Because right now they have no incentive. And the worst you can do is a bailout. So what I am advising conservative members privately is, okay, take Graham Cassidy, but you have to either get rid of the bailouts or if you're going to accept the bailouts, demand in return some of the aforementioned items of giving, leveling the playing field with health sharing, direct primary care, moving away, tilting one step away from the insurance cartel with every step where we use the boot of government to grow their monopoly over us. Those are my, my thoughts, not very brief thoughts, but it's hard. This is, a very, this is not an easy issue. Um, there's a lot of different game theory behind this. Uh, some of my friends are just categorically opposing this because it doesn't do what we promised. Then it, you know, you have adverse selection, doesn't repeal the regs. I, I fundamentally agree with that. <laughs> I, I agree so much, so much so that I think we're going to come out the other end. It kind of comes around in full circle. Yeah, it's going to burn it down. Except the one thing is it, it gets rid of the individual mandate. And I think at this point where we are, the emerging markets I'm seeing and based on the p- political realities, I think it's worth it to repeal the individual and employer mandates. But we got to stop the bailout component. So this is not just partial repeal. It's partial repeal with a bailout. Anyway, look for my article to come out very soon. We'll be back next week again. Lots going on. My gosh, Congress is going to be back again. Um, boy, the rubber is probably going to meet the road on this next week. So we're going to continue. We'll probably have three three episodes at least next week just to compensate for being out a couple days. Send me your thoughts as always. Make sure you tune into Mark Levin, Steve Dace. That is the only way you could see my face because <laughs> um, I hate video. I, I cannot stand uh, the, just the whole concept of video podcasts. It just it just distracts me. So you're not going to see my face then. So if you're interested in seeing me on video, Steve Dace's program is the only way to get it. only way to get that is CRTV, promo code Horowitz. Get your annual subscription right now. God bless you all. We'll see you again next week. Take care. Take care.